So today's daf is Chafalif. We pick up in the middle of Chafamadvet, and um, we um, we were dealing with um, the uh, Rav Adabar Ava, who was this rabbi who who uh, uh, allowed people who were accompanying him not to have to worry about falling buildings and falling walls. He had this tremendous zechus, um, and apparently we already saw in one story that he wasn't even aware about like how people were slapping him along and what was happening and as we're going to see now as the Gemara discusses what was the source of his merit it was, was about his uh, complete involvement in Torah it sort of explains his being a little bit oblivious so let's take a look it says like this um, uh, so the line starts with the word itmar it's about 20 lines from the bottom right near an asterisk about 5 lines above where there's an asterisk and a, uh, and a, uh, and a, uh, a half a parenthesis the Itmar, who was said, Shalu Talmidah, his students asked him, um, in what merit did you have, did you, did you live to such a, an old age? Amr Lehen, he said to them, so as opposed to before, it was about that he saved people from falling buildings, here it's to the question of, of old age. What did you merit, what did you do to merit such a long, long life? Amr Lehem, he said to them, In my entire life, I never got, like, upset about things in my house, which presumably means, you know, about, uh, uh, um, you know, um, to my wife or kids, but often has a context of wife, because it means anybody, you know, any of the members of the house. I never took a step in front of somebody that was greater than me. I did not think Torah in the uh, in like uh, you know the uh, filthy alleyways um, below a place inappropriate to be thinking Torah um, like not thinking Torah in a toilet and you know in a bathroom below halachi arba amot below Torah below tefillin but I never went for amot without Torah and without tefillin. Uh, maybe with the exception of when he went through those alleyways. And, but okay. <laughs> anyway, but I was always wrapped up phys- physically and literally, you know, and like literally and, 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 and uh, metaphorically in Torah. I was always, and in Tfilin, because Tfilin obviously is, represents Torah. So I was always wearing Torah, I was always with Torah and Tfilin. I never... Um, you know, went to sleep in the base medrash. Not a, not temporary, and not a, um, and not a, you know, not a temporary, and not a, and, and, and not, a, and not a long sleep. See what's happening here? Excuse me a second. I don't know what's going on here. Um, I'm sorry. Just one second. This thing is not. What's going on here? All right. Anyway. Um, yeah, this, anyway. Okay. So um, and uh, so I never slept, meaning so I was always both respected the space of the base marriage and also always involved in my Torah. Um, I was never rejoiced in the stumbling of my friend. Um, uh, there's a German word for that, right? What's the word? Schadenfreude, right. So anyway, okay. The low karati l'chavirai b'hachinato, the amile b'chanichinato. And I never called my friend in some type of a nickname, um, two versions of a nickname. Some say it means a nickname he gave himself and a nickname other people gave him. Or some people say, say it means a nickname other people gave him. And chanichinacho might mean a family name, a last name. That even though it was his name, it's not like a show of respect. You know, you say, hey, Linzer. You know, so actually there's an interesting Tosus on this. If you look at Tosus, Bachinato says, 
Peiris Bekino Shemachinato Ben Adam Ignite. So one is a nickname, but a nickname that's used is somewhat in a derogatory sense, raises an interesting question, right? It might not be derogatory, but it might not be fully respectful. Is there an idea of not using it even if it's a non-derogatory nickname? And then the second one also says, B'chanichato, excuse me, Peiris Kinoi Shem Mishpachto. Shem Levi, Kamo Shem Chanichato, Vopigitin, Arasar Darok, Gon, Rebbe Avram, Ibn Ezra. So he wants to pick an example of a last name. So what's the last name? You know, like, 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 like the Ibn Ezra. Shekobane Mishpachto, Hayuni it wasn't that his father's name was Ezra. Everybody in his family was even Ezra. But the last name, the Dabkalignai, and that's only if it's done in a derogatory way. Like, you know, say, hey, even Ezra. So, I don't know, you know, it depends on who the person is, whether that's considered a proper form of respect or whether that's, that's like a disrespectful form of respect. Mutar, if that's a respectful way, like we say, the Ibn Ezra says, that's a respectful way. Anyway, it's fascinating that he gives that as an example, but you know, the idea of family names was, uh, I don't know the history of that, but it's like it, you know, it, it was not so prevalent in the time of Tosfos. He needed to give an illustration, you know, using like the Ibn Ezra's in those cases. Also fascinating, the fact that he uses a Sephardi, you know, Parshan, which is both <laughs> not a, in Tosfos' normal realm in two ways. He's Sephardi and he's uh, one of them, a Farshei HaMikra, not somebody who really is involved in Gemara. So fascinating. All right, so now the Gemara continues. Um... So, uh, where, where, where are we? Um, okay, so that's, so those things. Okay, so anyway, not exactly clear to me, you know, it's a laundry list of things, what the sort of common denominator of all those things um, are. Um, I mean, obviously some of the things are, uh, there's overall an issue of respect, of not like, and maybe in some ways it's a little bit, again, of a critique of the earlier story, which is also a self-critique about the rabbi that learned so much Torah that he was so haughty, Here's a person that's constantly learning Torah, constantly involved in Torah, but also, you know, he knows his place. He doesn't uh, step, you take even one step in front of somebody that is that is greater than him. He doesn't get upset at other people. You know, he doesn't have, take upon himself the sense of like um, entitlement to call other people by by nicknames. He gives everybody their full respect. So I think it's a nice balance of the uh, the immersion in Torah together with a sense of humility and respect and treating people with respect. So in that way, at least, it's a little bit of a contrast to the earlier story. But other than that, you know, it's hard to exactly know what to do with, like, this long list of things. Yes? Ibn Ezra is a contemporary of Bali That is correct. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. So now the Gemara continues. Okay. Amelie Ravla Ravla Bar Papa. Leilan Mar Mehani Mili Mal Yosef Avi Avid Rav Huna. Tell us some of the so Ravla said to Rav Bar Papa. Tell us some of the great things that Rav Huna used to do. Um, since we're talking about great things here, that this um, uh, that who was it here did that. Um, uh, Ravada Bar Ava. So now we're going to do another types of lists of great deeds of rabbis. I don't remember things he did in his youth. say in his older age, the Khirna, I remember. Um every day that it was cloudy, um they brought him out in a gold um like a uh, throne, or not throne, but like some type of a thing, like a, a seat uh, that you carry, you know, you carry somebody on. Um, the CRA, so first of all, that's like already you start, you know, your eyebrows are going up, like gold, you know, a gold, a gold throne that they're bringing out, a gold seat, like, you know, it sounds a little haughty, but let's see what he would do. The CRA, Lukule Masa, he would, he would go ahead and he would uh, inspect uh, the entire city. Every wall that was uh, shaky, going back to the theme of shaky walls, have a sasula. He would uh, he would demolish it. Yefsher because it would uh, it would be a you know a, a danger to the people. 
If the, if the owners had the means, then the owners would have to rebuild it on their own um, because their wall was representing a threat to people um, and it was their responsibility. The low Afshar, and if they didn't have the, the means, so he would rebuild it on, his, on with his own phone, with his own funds. Every Arab uh, Shabbos, he would send a messenger to the Shuk, to the marketplace, and any vegetables, any food that would be left over, you know, late Friday afternoon, that would obviously get thrown out because they couldn't be refrigerated, he would buy them up. Um, and he would throw them into the river he had no use for them but he would buy them up and we'll see the reason he would buy them up is, is in order to encourage the sellers to bring all of their wear you know, you know to bring their full um, stocks to the marketplace so people would have enough and they would have a full range of options and they shouldn't you know because and, and they shouldn't worry that it will all go to waste agricultural okay. price supports uh, there you go ok although that's in terms of, of, of uh, growing the food here's in terms of encouraging it to be sort of you know to all to be brought to the market. Uh, but okay, the lace and so the market says, one minute, you know, this is a question that comes up nowadays, right, the stuff that restaurants throw out, you know, why don't you just give it to the poor? Why are you throwing it out? So the market says, no, because then what will happen is that people will assume, oh, he's going to, uh, why do we have to buy food for Shabbos? You know, um, uh, um, you know, who is this again? Um, uh, Rav Huna, right, Rav Huna will just buy it all up and give it to us. So therefore, and they won't buy. Now, why would that be a bad thing? So fine, so let him do that. So, uh, so Rashi here says, uh, what does Rashi say? That if he that if they wait till the end and he buys up only the stuff at the end, then uh, then maybe they won't there won't be anything left over and then they won't have what to uh, and they won't have you know any food for Shabbos. So he didn't want to have them overly rely on that. Um, Okay, one minute. Uh, so, um, where are we? Okay, bleach the behema. So fine, but at least give it to animals. Kasavar meichalot amei machilu lebehema. No, you don't feed human food to animals, which is quite funny because presumably the reason is you don't want to waste the food, but here it's going to waste anyway. Somehow it's seen as more disrespectful to the food to feed it to animals. You know, maybe it more is, you know, seeming like, a, you know, I, I know, dehumanizing to people that you feed human food to animals, and that's somehow seen as more of a problem than just throwing it out. Yes? We're supposed to feed uh, trace meat to dogs. Um, yeah, okay, but that's, that's a question about what your purview of human consumption is, you know, if you're, within, you know, if you're, you're talking about, you know, we the people who would eat it, if your sense of community is the Jewish people, so I think that that, but, you know, but the Torah also says that you sell it like, you know, so anyway, there are different, but Dafka, the Pesukim in the Torah, also mentioned giving it to the non-Jews in that case. Anyway, okay, below these a cloud, so why is he bothering to buy it? No, Nimsas Machilin lost his lava. Then he's going to cause them, the sellers, to stumble because then they will, you know, it, you know, they'll. I mean, not, not stumble, but it'll be hurtful to the economy, to the people, because then they won't bring all of their food to the market. So it's quite an interesting story, you know. On the one hand, he's going out with his gold chair, which uh, you know he sort of, which represents a little ostentatiousness of his wealth. You know, you wonder what that's about, you know. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, you know, maybe he here's somebody that you know does have this sort of uh, sense of kavod. <coughs> for himself, but at the same time, you know, he's very much, uh, give, you know, concerned about the community well-being. Um, and again, you know, again, maybe I'm over-reading into all of these stories, but here you have these stories about great people, and to me it seems that it's all somewhat in the background of the Choni stories. 
So Choni, on the one hand, didn't go out in any gold chair. You know, they had to go find out Choni. He was who knows where he was. But Choni wasn't wasn't also um, concerned about public welfare. Right? He wasn't the one that was concerned that nobody was getting rain. Here's somebody that is very proactively, on the one hand, taking a certain amount of cover to himself. You know, it's sort of like I said, wonderful. Take all the cover you want. Just you know, as long as you're serving the community and you're helping us out. You know, if you if it's important for you to get that covered, gesundte hate. So that's I think is an interesting contrast that Hizaka has is taking the cover, but on the other hand, the type of you know of, of proactive and you know out of his own funds and his own efforts taking in the communal concerns. What to exactly do with the fact that it's better to throw it out than to give it to animals or to give it to the poor? You know, raises I think interesting questions. Okay. And they're not miracle workers, right? They're doing it all in very practical ways. Right. Exactly. I think it's consistently setting up counter pony models, and it's exactly that, right? And they're working very much in a very real world type of a way. Yeah. It says he deliberately went in the gold chair because he went to non-Jewish neighborhoods and he gave him street creds. <laughs> he was credible because they because he was such a wealthy man. I see. He was doing good things. They would follow his lead and open uh, Okay, that's a nice explanation. All right, and on that note, um, okay. He hardly Milsa to Asusa. Okay, now. When he would have a, when he would have some type of a remedy, some type of a, uh, for, for a disease, um, so, some type of a medicine, Havimali Kuza de Maya, or Havimali Kuza, he would fill up some uh, type of a, uh, a container, um, the safe of the Desa, and he would, uh, hang it, like, at, you know, uh, you know, outside of his house. The Amar, anybody who needs this medicine can come and take. Um, the Ika the army and that A would provide it for the community and B would allow people you know uh, privacy you wouldn't have to announce the fact that you were sick or that you needed the medicine or go even to him directly you could go ahead and just take it on your own and nobody was looking the Ika the army and some say Milsa de Shivsa um, he knew the, the uh, matters relating to Shivsa which is a certain uh, like a shade the um, Havi um, which was the Gemara says happens when you don't wash your hands this evil spirit comes into you the um, Havi and he would fail so here was more about just uh, again talking about public well-being trying to address issues of public health so he would fill up a vessel of water the Dalilay and like fill it up the Amar anybody who needs should come and you know doesn't have running water needs water should come and bathe, wash their hands with this the lowly stocking that they should not be endangered so here in a way it's very nice it's sort of like the previous thing it's you know it's something like he's concerned about public health issues and trying to do things. So we had price supports or whatever. We had supports of merchants and here we have, you know, public health. You have a rifta when he would uh, eat bread, literally wrap bread, but when he would break bread, when he would eat, have a levave. He would like um, open up his heart. Um, like, uh, like a Pesach, right? Like the Seder. Anybody who needs should come and eat. Amar Rava. So Rava said, um, um, where were they? Kulu Matina Makaimi. I can do all of this. I could. I could live up to all of his examples. I wonder if Ravat had had the money to live up to it. But presumably he felt he could. Lubar Meha, except for that last one, that just opening up your doors to everyone. The Lo Matina that I can't do. Why? Um, um, 
Mishum de Nefishi B'nei Chela because there's too many de Mechuzah. Either there's too many troops in Mechuzah or just have the phrase B'nei Mechuzah. There are too many people in Mechuzah and I could not open up my doors to everyone. I think I read that, the, the word wrong there. It wasn't Libave, it says Libave to his doors. He would open up his gates, like Bava, I'm sorry about that. He would open up his doors anyway and call anybody who wants. So, um, anyway, Rabbi says I could do any of that except for, except for the, uh, except for the last one. That's just, uh, I'd be overrun. This is still Rabbi Adabarava? Yeah. I mean the Rav Huna. Rav Huna. Yes, the Rav Huna. Right, Rav Huna. Okay. Top of Chafal Hamadalaf. Yofa Rav Yochanan. Very famous story now. Okay, so that was, um, okay, so that was about, again, you know, people that of great merit and also particularly also about their, um, you know, the one case was just learning Torah and respecting people. The other case was um, you know, which might have been contrast to the whole story about the person who said how ugly you are and his haughtiness, but this last story was great people in terms of what they do for the community. Let's take a look now at this story. Yofan Reb Yochanan on a slightly different theme. Yofan Reb Yochanan, Havi Garci Bil Raisa. They were learning Torah. The Chikaluhu Milsa, but they were having a really hard time financially. Amtuva, exceedingly so. Amri, and they said, You know what? Maybe we need to take, uh, to, to, to set aside the learning and go into business. We have to start earning some money. And we should fulfill in ourselves the verse. There should be no poor among you. So, you yourself shouldn't be poor. You have a responsibility to make sure that you're not poor. So, you have a responsibility to, to support yourself. Uzlu, um, Osve to Seguda. So they went and they were on, going wherever they, you know, left the base Medrash, were on their journey to, uh, to, to start seeking out a, a Parnassa, and they were sitting underneath a bridge, Ru'ia, again, a shaky bridge. Again, notice the theme of shaky walls, shaky buildings, like he knocked down shaky walls, they're underneath a shaky bridge. Um, and again, what we've heard before about the shaky wall was that they wouldn't, you know, whoever it was, Robin Shmuel, I think it was, was it Robin Shmuel, wouldn't walk by the shaky wall. They were afraid it would fall, but they had Ravada Barava there, or Ravada, I think I'm forgetting who we're talking about, Ravada Barava, his merit prevented the wall from falling. So that's like the background here. They're under a shaky bridge. We already know what could happen if you're under a shaky wall, shaky bridge, if you don't have sufficient merit. Okay, so they were under this shaky bridge. Hanikakarchi Rifta, they were breaking bread, eating bread. Also, Tremalachi Ashari, two heavenly angels came. Shami Rib and Rib Yochanan overheard the heavenly angels talking to one another. And one said to the other, Neshti Alayu, let's cast this bridge on them. Hai Gudav and let's kill them. Why? Because they've abandoned eternal life, they've abandoned the learning of Torah, and they're involving themselves in uh, this worldly life, in, uh, in making money. So how, they did such a terrible thing. Let's cast the bridge on them. So Amr Le'idach, the other one said back, Shavkinu, no, leave them alone. To there's one of them, one of those two, to Shata, that the, literally, like, the, the time is standing for him, meaning that he's going to be very, you know, that, 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 that he's going to, to, to raise to great heights. So, and he doesn't deserve to die. So Rabbi Yochanan Shaman, Rabbi Yochanan heard this conversation. Ilfa lo Shama, Ilfa didn't hear the conversation. Um, Rabbi Yochanan Ilfa, so Rabbi Yochanan said to Ilfa, who he wasn't aware whether Ilfa had heard or not, Shama Mar Midi, did you hear anything? Amale, no, no. So rather than saying, so I must be hearing things and going crazy, he said, no, he said, Amar, me to Shama Anna, that I heard this. Ilfa lo Shama, Ilfa didn't hear it. Shama Mina, Lididi, Kaimali Shaita. So obviously they must be talking about me, because <laughs> I'm at a level that I was able to hear this. So it must be that my time has come in terms of, like, the world of Torah. 
So Ali Reb Yochanan, Reb Yochanan said to him, Ehader, I'm going to go back to the base medrash. Vuki benafshai, and I'll fulfill in my verse. Rather, the verse make sure you're not poor. I'm going to fulfill in my by myself the verse. Kilo yechdal Yon mikervaris. There's never not going to be poor. So I'll be one of the poor. So okay, <laughs> there's got to be poor. Let it be me. I'm going to go back and learn Torah. Reb Yochanan hader. Reb Yochanan went back. Ilfa lo hader. Ilfa didn't go back. Ad asa ilfa until ilsa return. return. You know, from his going out into the wide world and making his fortune. So we talking. We could be talking about many years later. But in the interim, Malich Reb Yochanan, Reb Yochanan had literally become king, but it means Reb Yochanan had been appointed as the Rosh Yeshiva. And as Rashi points out, that does not just mean a position of status, but also presumably he was, uh, you know, he was given, uh, he was, um, you know, he was given significant, um, you know, uh, 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 well, whatever, he was given funds, wealth, in order to, you know, give status to his, uh, to his position. So look at Rashi, the third line, narrow line, Malach Reb Yochanan, Minu Rosh Yeshiva the person was not independently wealthy they would help you know give him uh, you know give him uh, money um, in order to make him wealthy sometimes that's also clear in the psukim that it means like oh not only did he get to be a rich yeshiva he also got to be you know to have his uh, issues of, of, of poverty um, addressed but uh, nevertheless there is that sense that you know uh, that the poverty issue was no longer a concern of his. What? They gave him a death, exactly. <laughs> and an office. Okay. So now the says like this. Um, okay. Amulo, um, Marvigaris, Lohavi Malich Mar. So they said to, um, they said to, uh, what's his name? They said to Ilfa, if the master, um, if the master, meaning if you, Ilfa, had stayed in the base medrash and learned, then the other, then, then, then the other master, Rabbi Yochanan, wouldn't have been the Rosh Yeshiva. You would have been the Rosh Yeshiva. You were smarter than Rabbi Yochanan. You knew more than Rabbi Yochanan. If you had just stayed in the base medrash, it would have been you, not him. It must have made him feel really good. So what did he do? Exactly. So, So he went and he suspended himself from the mast of the boat. The mast is the, is the big pole in the middle. That's the mast, right? Okay, from the mast of the boat. Um, Amar, he said, I'm going to show you how much I know. If anybody will ask me anything, of any of the brisos of Rebchi and Revosia, they were the ones who, like, you know, who edited the Brightot and of the, the Tosefta. And I cannot prove to you that that's already anchored, rooted in a Mishnah. So then, I'll cast myself from the mast of the boat and I'll drown myself. Okay, it's a little, uh, <laughs> a, a little dramatic, exactly. Um, but anyway, I'm going to prove how ma- masterful is my knowledge. Not only do I know the Mishnah and the Brises, I'll be able to show you how they're all connected. Okay, also Husafa, so somebody took him up on his, uh, you know, on, on his offer, on his challenge. Taught away and taught him the following Brisa. Home, it's new shekel libni b'shabbat. Somebody basically is about to pass away and he's leaving, um, you know, uh, you know, his, uh, you know, a, um, um, what, what do you call it? Um, a, a fund, yeah, but what do you call it? You said, not just a fund, a trust, right? A trust for his kids. So he says, here's the money and what I want you to do is provide for my children one shekel um, each week out of this, out of this trust. 
Um, the only thing is that there's so many kids and just to provide you know reasonably for their needs they deserve a seller more than a shekel so what do you do? no you can give them what they need now why? why isn't that violating what he said? well one way of understanding that is because you know it's the principle of yesh b'chlam if he said give them a hundred he didn't say give them only a hundred so you give them two hundred two hundred is also a hundred <laughs> so then you're that you're allowed to do but the Amar if he said only give them a hundred don't give them more than that then you cannot, can only give them a shekel you can't give them more now in Amar now if he said give them a hundred not only a hundred give them a hundred a week but then he also added to that if they die then some other people not their children should be the next uh, you know uh, um, in, uh, inheritors of the fund should be the next beneficiaries of the fund if they die if they, so in that case all the money isn't coming to the kids right because it's not that it then passes on to the kids kids it goes to some other party so in that case whether he says give them a, a shekel give them a hundred or don't give them more than a hundred in either case you don't give them more than a hundred because clearly this money is not all going to them it's, whatever's left over is going to someone else so therefore you don't have the same degree of latitude of interpreting well he said a hundred he didn't say no more than a hundred we'll give them two no you assume that he meant precisely in that case because he's intending that other people will ultimately be the beneficiaries it's not like all the money is eventually going to go to them anyway so anyway so who is so that's a brighter very interesting how is it tied into a Mishnah so Amar Le, he said to him how many Rebbe Meir he the Amar Mitzvah Lechaim Divya Meis this is Rebbe Meir who says it's a mitzvah to do what the Meis says so this bright is working out what exactly are the parameters of interpreting what it was that he said when he says a hundred does he mean exactly a hundred does he mean no less than a hundred does it depend on other things he said how he interprets that word but all of that is figuring out how to interpret within a context and within what the other types of needs are what it is that he said but assumes as a basis that you have to do what the mace commanded and there's a you know it's not like he gave this over as a matana this is actually he gave this over as a tzivoy he said this is my deathbed wish that I want you to distribute the funds this way right so that's a principle I mean when we get to Baba Basu we'll learn there are two ways in which somebody can distribute their funds other than allow natural inheritance to take place one is a deathbed bequest you know which actually is like a will and the other is that you're not actually transferring the ownership of it but you're giving a tzivoy you're saying here's you know, uh, you know here's how I want you to treat the funds but it's not an actual transfer of the funds and that's this issue of mitzvah l'kayin divi hamei so he said this is all based on a position we have in a Mishnah of mitzvah l'kayin divi hamei and this is a bright of just working out the parameters of how to interpret what it is that he's actually saying and how that actually should be interpreted in the particular context alright so that did not seem so I mean it's interesting you know because it's not like the exact point is in the Mishnah right this is obviously much more of a working out of a very general principle in the Mishnah but he's saying nevertheless I have all of the information of all the brightos, not only do I know it, but I have it organized so I can sort of locate it in the various Mishnayot and tell you the brightos here are working out the implications of this Mishnah, you know, this bright is working out the implication of that Mishnah, and the point I think being that not only did he have mastery of the material, but he had it all sort of very, you know, well organized and, uh, and sort of and, uh, associated with one another, so that shows you know, his mastery of Torah. Of course, it's not exactly an analytic ability, okay, but it's also not the other extreme which is just like you know the Gemara sometimes talks about uh, 
senile, like somebody who just knows all the information, but sometimes there's like a derogatory phrase of like, you know, he's like a chamor no se, you know, no se svarim. He's like a donkey laden with books. Like, okay, he just knows a lot of information. So, on the one hand, you don't see demonstrated here, you know, tremendous analytic ability, but what you do see is, you know, the mastery, uh, like what he's try- demonstrating is the mastery of all of the knowledge, but in a way that's organized and linked and makes sense and categorized and so on. Yes. It's just accurate. It's interesting, it seems to me, that he doesn't, uh, they obviously, he doesn't refer to these teachings as Reichos or as Tosefta. It's their Mishnah and our Mishnah. Yeah, but and I think... the Mishnah of Rabbi and Rabbi Shaya, right. as opposed to Matnitin, our Mishnah. You're right. That is the... Right. I translated it as Brita, but you're right. That is the way it is phrased. Like, their Mishnah, our and Mishnah. Our Mishnah. And Matnitin is always our Mishnah. That right. is correct. But... Uh, so it sounds like there was yeah, but, sort of a level playing field. Yeah, but I, I, I don't think so. I think that the very statement, there's always that assumption, like, our, you know, means, means the canonical, the authoritative one. Uh, you're right that is the phrase but but the fact that he's linking it in our Mishnah if anything could be shown to be doing the opposite point basically saying that all of this you know our Mishnah is you know is, is, is authoritative is canonical everything else sort of is a commentary on it or is a derivation of it but yeah I think I don't think in anywhere in the Gemara do you get a sense that Brita and Mishnah are on an equal playing field yeah yeah, 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 yeah go ahead Right, exactly. The only common yeah. thing is the bridge and the shaky bridge or yeah, whatever. In context, maybe a lot of these stories have to do with, with uh, miracle workers or coming and coming or whatever who, like Rakula, you know, he didn't just say the basic English, he was mm-hmm. involved with the community. Right. Um, Funny Amagel, you know, he obviously was. Uh, Maybe Ilfa's kind of saying, well, it would be very nice to be a Rosh Hashiva, but the discipline can also be... Uh-huh. You know, uh, can also it's be interesting, because I was reading this, and it's that, like, Ilfa's making a spectacle of himself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like what he does is so amazing. And even if he did amazing, it's like, okay, but now instead of being a Rosh Hashiva, you're a guy, you know, on, on a mast of a boat. You know, so if anything, I sort of saw this in the opposite way, which is like, we're talking about the power of going out and taking care of the needs of the community, you know, but Ilfa's just going and like you know taking care of his own you know right now it's not like he wanted to be rich necessarily he didn't want to be poor but you know but I think the point of this is to exactly sort of speak about the um, the choosing between like a life of Torah you know and a life of uh, you know and a life of, uh, a, 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 of business or of making money um, and it's really coming to sort of uh, it, it really it, the critique is on is on, it seems to be clearly that it's on you know that it's on it's on Ilfa yeah but in a way that's like okay okay that, okay that was nice whatever that was nice you know Rabbi Yochanan is Rosh Hashiva he's there on the mass doing some meaning that's the way I see it and that like okay we've been talking about the importance of using your funds and taking care of the needs of the community you know but that doesn't but there's also you know but that doesn't but that, but that shouldn't be led to say so I'll just go into business and not learn Torah and that's the way I read it yes so just to drill down this a little and the question um, that affects the prologue of our story is you've got these two yeshiva buffers right. right and now the story is about heirs who can't survive oh that's the nice uh-huh. of what's happening here and maybe that story is supposed to be some reference to um, 
Yeah. He goes back to the yeshiva and, and is actually getting taken care of, as you pointed out before. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're going above and beyond providing. Mm-hmm. The question really was supposed to be about the use of the endowment mm-hmm. beyond minimal support. Mm-hmm. And Ilfa doesn't get it. Mm. He, he answers, well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where to go with this. Yeah, that's a very nice point. That's like a limited amount of funds, and what do you do? Do you try to sort of stretch the funds, which is the first case of the Brita? You read the words in a way to type stretch the funds, or do you accept sort of the Divrei Hamate and you limit yourself to the funds and you figure out how to make do? You know, and, um, you know, it's sort of like, that means like Yushua Cherem Tachteya means, so other people will get the money. That's what Yochanan said. I'll be poor, other people will get the money, it'll all work out in the end, you know, but I'm not going to try to stretch the funds. I'll stay within those realities and work with it. That's a brilliant idea. That's very nice. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Um, so where were we? So this, now we get to some Nachamish Gamzu stories. We can try to figure out how it's connected, but let's take a look. They said about Nachamish Gamzu, was blind in his two eyes. He was, uh, had, uh, I don't know what the word for it is, but he he didn't have either um, um, either of his arms. Kita um, he didn't have his, his two legs; they were both cut off. Um, his whole torso was filled with uh, blisters, you know, and sores. he was that's the one obvious link. He was in the again the shaky house. We had a shaky wall, a shaky bridge, a shaky house. And the legs of the bed were in uh, buckets of water. So that like weasels should not climb the bed because he didn't have any arms or limbs to push them off. So the buckets of water, what? Yeah. Ants, I'm sorry, right. Ants, so that he didn't have any, he didn't have any uh, limbs to push them off. We're back to the shaky house. So his bed was in a shaky house. They wanted to get his bed out so the house wouldn't fall down on him, like the previous story, right? When he wanted to get the wine out, you know, out of the shaky house. So, and then to worry about getting out all of the other, like, uh, you know, um, um, uh, vessels. Amr Lahem, he said to them, First take out the vessels and then take me out. You can be confident. As long as I'm in the house, it would not fall down. So, Mamish, this is the real parallel to the previous story with Ravada Barava. His Torah protected him and he wasn't even aware. Here, Melchim Gamzu is quite aware that he is being protected. Of course, the irony is that the house isn't falling down, but look at what terrible things have already happened to him. So, we're going to look at that. But anyway, so what did they do? So fine, they followed his instruction. First they took out the vessels, then they took him out, then the house fell down. Mamish, a parallel to the earlier story. Okay. So his student said to him, so that at least presumably is the reason this is being brought in, about shaky houses. But now that we're talking about him, his student said to him, since you're so righteous that you protected the house from falling down, so how could this terrible things happen to you? about what has happened to your body. He said, my children, I brought it upon myself. Once I was going on the way to my father-in-law's house, and I was carrying with me uh, the load of three donkeys. 
Echad shall ma'achal, one of food, Echad shall mishter, one of drink, the Echad shall minay megadim, and the other of all types of delicacies. So, ba'aniyachad, um, the poor person came, so to me this is evoking that earlier story, right, with who was it, was it said like, you know, he was coming from the base Medrash, and you know, he was traveling on the river, and he said, you know, and the person came who was ugly and disgusting. So here he was, anyway, it also a little bit evokes Eliezer, you know, going to the Ebed Avram, the future father-in-law's house, laden down with all these good things. Anyway, so a certain purse, poor person came to me the Amadli B'derech the Amadli Rebbe Parnasani and he said to me my master support me feed me I said to him, give me a second so I can unla- unladen it from the donkey. I have these bundles of food. Let me untie some of the bundles and give you the food. So, I did not have a chance to undo it from the donkey, um, you know, undo the burden from the, the donkey. He died from hunger. I went and I fell on his face and I said my eyes that did not have compassion on your eyes Yasumu should be made blind my hands that did not have compassion on your hands should be cut off my legs that did not have compassion on your legs should be cut off and I still did not feel calmed until I said let my whole body be filled with, uh, with, with uh, boils so, Amulo, they said to him, Woe to us that we've seen you in such a state, so completely, you know, disfigured. Amalahem, he said to them, No, Woe to me if you had not seen me like this, because then I would not have been properly punished for, for what I did wrong. So I have to tell you, I don't understand this story. I mean, what did he do wrong? He had to get his food out of the, out of the package. Like, uh, his stuff was in the packages. Are we supposed to assume that he had food more readily available, like his lunch? I could have given him my lunch. I wanted to give him some of the other food, not the food I was in the middle of eating. I mean, if that's true, it doesn't say it here. Was he a little bit slow in undoing the package? He, he, right, maybe that... Well, but even if that's part of the critique, that you should have been able to see how, how he was starving to death, like, what are you supposed to do if your stuff's all in your luggage? So you have to assume other things, like that he had more readily available food. So number one, it's not so clear what he did wrong. Number two, you know, his reaction seems like way over the top. And, uh, you know, and also like it, in a way that I think, on one hand, like learning Masechah Ta'anid, it's worth thinking about the idea of like, you know, self, uh, like punishing the body as a way of atoning. Now, in our Masechah, as I've been trying to point out, the theme of atonement has not really uh, been there, you know, been very, you know, I would say like, you know, there was, was one place where it came up, but has not dominated at all. But nevertheless, for some people, that's like the idea of fasting on Yom Kippur. You hurt your body, and that's how much atones. You know, you're slapping yourself, and that somehow is a... You've punished yourself, and that atones for your sin. But okay, so there is an idea that is around, but to this degree, and, you know, it's very hard. Like, it it does seem like he is blaming himself for something that might not have been his fault, number one. And number two, he has so racked with guilt on the extreme to which he's taking it out. You know, I, I have a very hard time relating to this as something to... Like learn from, other than learn from as a counterexample, but I don't think that's what the Gemara is intending. Yes. I think you're right. Yes. What about the word? Oh, wait. Interesting. So, what could he have said? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, that's interesting. He just started by saying yes, and then wait a minute, because wait is like a pushing off rather than a pulling in. I think actually you can go back and you read it in contrast to what we just said before about. Where Rafuna's intervention, Rafuna actually, I think, our stories about 
limitations on intervention in the market economy. Mm-hmm. And except when you have a situation where it's a medicine or with some right. there's a dire need. Right. In which case he makes the medicine available. And he was being proactive. Here, this guy is traveling with a lot of food. Right. right? And he says, wait a minute. Right. Let me see what I can do for you. Uh-huh. And he's saying, yes, let me help you. Uh, that's a nice point. It's a very good point. Yeah, but it's a good point. It's a good point. Look, I think that we could say there was something you could have done better, or maybe you should have expected. You're traveling with all this food. There are poor people around. Maybe you should have had food readily available when, you know, for poor people come to you. Okay, so I think there could be, obviously, you could find some area, and I think it's a very excellent point that he could have said yes rather than wait. It still seems way over the top, yeah, you know. The point is not about poor people. The point is about people in, in dire straits and starvation. Mm-hmm. In extraordinary circumstances. Right. Because um, I, I think these set of stories really are a critique of international aid. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we're not supposed to displace and simply go feed hungry. Uh-huh. We're supposed to. That, that's that's the interesting. Interesting. But I do think you're right in terms of like the person that was going out with the gold chair, you know, and he was going out and proactively looking what he could do. Here, you're traveling. You're being sort of very absorbed in your personal world. You're going to your father-in-law. You're not sort of thinking about your sense in terms of you're laden with food, you know, why aren't you going out and also thinking, hey, maybe I'll use the opportunity to distribute some food to people that I see along the way. So again, if you wanted to read some type of a contrast, but... No, I understand that issue. I don't see the Gemara necessarily emphasizing that point about the, you know, but in terms of like what he could have been doing a little bit different. He could have been going out not absorbed in his personal world. He could have been going out like the other rabbi who went out to look what he could do in the community, like in the society. Maybe there's some of that element there. Well, the, 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 the encounter was on the way. Since so twice I was on the way, and the right. encounter me on the way, and, and maybe he's saying, "Wait till I unload the donkey," meaning like not here. Come see me in the office. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when I get there. Oh, wait until I unload it when I get to my final destination. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Where the, therefore that like that that's the real problem. Oh, oh, okay. That's very interesting. I didn't read it that way, but if you read it that way, then you really do understand why he's feeling very guilty. Like if he said, wait until I get to my destination and unpack my bags, that's a big deal. Exactly. Come see me in the office. Right. That's that's a very that's a very nice read. Jonathan, I think I skipped you before. You had one of the days? All right. All right. Um, okay, so the way says like this. Um, okay. The Maikole Nochemish Gamzu. So now we get to the stories of Nochemish Gamzu. Why was he called Nochemish Gamzu? To call Miyosa to have a Salkole, Amar Gamzu Latova. Anything that would happen to him, he would say, even this is for the best, which is interesting again, just holding that up to the previous story. Let's take a look at what the story is. Yisrael One time, uh, the uh, Jewish people wanted to send a gift to the, C- to, to the Caesar's uh, house. Amru man Yezil, who should who should go for us? Yezil Nachmish Gamzu, let Nachmish Gamzu who go. The Meluman Benisin, he is accustomed to having miracles take, take occur to him. Now, by the way, one miracle that did occur to him, you'll notice, is that his prayers of what should happen to his body were fulfilled. We never exactly find out how that happened, but he did not presumably cut off his own arms. So you know, we're also talking about other people, right? Choni Amagel, other people who God listens to their prayers. So, all right, for better or worse. Anyway, um, presumably they knew that he, this was, I don't know if this is before or after uh, this terrible state had happened to him, but anyway, presumably they knew that things, miracles would happen to him. Um, they sent in his hands a, fi- a full crate of, uh, of precious jewels um, and, uh, you know, and, and stones. He went and he, and he slept in a certain uh, lodging at night. 
Lahudira. But Lelia Kamu Hanach Dirai, Vishaklinu Lisiste, at night the, uh, um, the other inhabitants got up and they took uh, everything that was in his box. Umalunu um, Afar, and they put instead of it dust, dirt. Kimata Hassam, when he got to the Caesar's house, Sharinu Lisiste, they opened up the, uh, the crate, the box. Chaznu de Malurafra, they saw it was filled with dust. The king wanted to kill Nachumish Gamzu and the whole retinue. The, 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 the Jews are mocking me. Amar, he said, Gamzu Latova, this will be for the best. Asa Eliyahu, so Eliyahu Adnavi came. Once he's, you know, maybe Eliyahu was waiting to see how Nachum would handle it, but now that he saw that Nachum had like a faith that it would all work out for the best, Eliyahu came. Idmi lekichad minayu, and he appeared like one of them. Uh, the Rashi says the them means one of the uh, Caesar's, uh, um, you know, uh, retinue. And Amalei, and he said, because here you hear their father, that maybe this is the dust from Avraham, their forefather, who, when he would throw dust, it would turn to swords. And Gili, when he would throw straw, it would turn to arrows. The seed, he tank afar karbok, kashmi daf kashko. Pulsikin Shayahu, that the, you know, Mizeh Irmi Mizrach, who is it that was bestirred from the east, right? So it's understood to be referring to Avraham. Let the dust be, you know, his, his dust is like, is his sword, and the uh, straw is his, uh, is his um, uh, bow. So, you know, maybe this is the magical dust of Avraham Avinu, the dirt of Avraham Avinu that turns into swords. Um, so there was a certain country that they were not uh, that they had not yet been able to conquer. So they tested out this dirt against this country. They threw dirt, I guess, over the walls, and the and they uh, and weren't able to subdue it because it all turned into swords and it killed them all. So anyway, it was magic dirt, and it helped and it, and, and it was uh, helped them conquer this country. So they took Nachumish uh, Gamzu and his retinue into their uh, treasure houses. And they filled his, uh, his crate with all precious jewels. The same thing that he had come to give them, they now gave him. And they sent him out with great honor. By the way, you know, it's interesting the mention of Avraham, right? Goes down and gets sent out with all of this wealth, right? Avraham goes down to Mitzrayim and gets sent out. Again, I don't know if that's intentional, but there's obviously some parallels there. Anyway, and Avraham, when it says Avraham came back, he says he came back and he dwelled in the places that he dwelled on his way down. Anyway, okay, he, uh, when he came back, um, he, dwe- he, he went and he slept back in the same lodging. They said to him, My Asis the Avi what did you bring to the Caesar? They knew what, they had, what he brought. They filled it with dirt. But what, what is it that you brought to the Caesar that he gave you such honor? Amr Lehu, he said to them, Whatever I took out in my box here when I left in the morning, that's what I brought there. So so they figured that the dirt of their, you know, inn was so precious to the Caesar, they knocked down their entire inn and, to, to, and fill, you know, filled up bags of dirt. And they brought it to the, to, to the Caesar's house. And uh, that dirt that Nachumish uh, Gamzu brought to you, that was our dirt. Okay, but so they tested the dirt that these guys had brought. And it, it wasn't magical. So Katlinu so they all got killed. Okay. <laughs> so it was all for the best. They all got killed and it all worked out for the best. Okay. Anyway, 
again, don't exactly know what to make of the story other than the lesson of Gamzu Latova, but I do also want to say about the Gamzu Latova idea that, you know, there's, uh, there could be a downside of it. It's great to have, you know, you know, uh, faith for yourself that it'll all work out for the best, but it could also lead for, you know, lack of taking responsibility about what actually is happening, you know, in practice. You know, um, like I sometimes talk about that in contrast to, you know, you know, like the Yosef and Yehuda. You know, Yosef is the one that says, you know, God will work it out, God works it out for the best and whatever. You know, and Yehuda is the one that steps forward and takes responsibility. Um, so, um, you know, so Gamze, so if, if it is meant some contrast with Nachum here going and taking, you know, his laden donkeys to his father-in-law's house, you know, as opposed to whoever it was back here, Rav Huna, that would go out and take responsibility for what's going on in the community. If your attitude is everything God does it all work out for the best, you know, that could lead to, okay, there are poor people around, there's sickness around, there's bad things, but you know, it's all going to be for the best. Right? It could lead to a real detachment from responsibility to what's happening. So, what? He didn't guard his jewels, right? He didn't take certain steps. So all these stories are very nice in taking the message that bad things that happen, you should have be tough and you should have faith. But to have that as your entire approach, right, can be lead to a not taking responsibility for yourself and b not taking full what's significant responsibility for the larger world. Maybe that's part of the story about the ani. Maybe he didn't feel enough of a sense of responsibility. If you have just a sense that everything God is part of God's plan, you know, maybe you're not taking enough responsibility yourself. Again, I don't know if that's if the Gemara is intending any of that critique, but that's what I'm but that's what I'm putting forward. Okay, let's keep on going. Elu Dever. Now, what is this case of you know of pestilence that is a reason to fast and for some of the neighboring villages to participate in some way. A city that has 500 foot soldiers, whatever that means, um, and three people die over three days. If a city has a 1,500 foot soldiers, and nine people die over three days, one after the other, then that is pestilence. If it's all in one day, you might think it's worse, but maybe it's just some, you know, not a persistent thing and it's just a freak chance. And if it's over four days, then maybe it's not severe enough and that is not considered pestilence. Now, what's interesting is, is that the Gemara, you know, interesting, whatever, the Gemara did the math right. Meaning, the Gemara, you could have said, if it's for 500 people, it's three people over three days. So for 1,500 people, you know, somebody could have said, I mean, it's wrong, well, nine people over nine days. But no, because that's exact same as three people over three days. So maybe it's not such a chiddish, but people have been known to make that mistake. So the point is, it's still nine people, three people a day over three days. Okay. Now, a city that only has 500 people, Amiku, the same point, three people over three days, that is Dever. Yom Echad in one day or in four days it's not again e- even though it's all compressed it's not Dever because it's not as necessarily uh, persistent Drokeret um, uh, so Drokeret was a city of, uh, that had 500 you know again soldiers I don't know if it literally means soldiers or you know 500 uh, um, you know uh, uh, well able-bodied men whatever it means the Yatsumi men and three deaths occurred all in one day. Gazer Rav Nachman Bar Rav Chizda Tanisa. Rav Nachman Bar Rav Chizda thought that this was Dever. 
and he made the fast day. Amr of Nachman Bar Yitzchak, so Nachman Bar Yitzchak said to him, Kiman, to Reb Meir, who are you going like that? You say three in one day is the same as three in three days. That's like Rabbi Meir to Amr, who says by a case of a goring ox, you know, what makes an ox considered to be a muad, habitual gorer? So the general rule is, he gored one person a day over three days. You know, so three people over three days. What if he gored three people in one day? So the first opinion is, he's not a habitual gorer. Maybe today he got crazy, but he's not a habitual gorer. To which Rebbe Mayer says, um, If when he spreads out the goring, you're, hot, you're, 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 you're liable for full because he's habitual. So, if he compresses them, how much more so is he a more violent or dangerous ox? But again, it might be more, you know, intense, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's more persistent or habitual. So that was anyway, but that was Rav Nachman Bar, uh, Rav Nachman Bar Rav Chizda's approach, and he felt that three in one day is actually worse than three in three days and made a tonic. Now that we had Rav, Rav, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak saying, you know, sort of pushing back on Rav Nachman Bar Rav Chizda, we're going to have one or two stories about that. Rav Nachman, um, wait, wait. Amalei Rav Nachman Bar Rav Chizda Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. So Rav Nachman Bar Rav Chizda said to Rav, Yitz, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Leikumar Leisi Gaman, you know, you should uh, move here, move to our place. Apparently his place of Nachman Bar Rav Chizda, Bar Rav Chizda was a more place of Torah. Um, and, you know, what are you doing in that small little village there? Nobody, you know, not, they don't really know Torah there. Come move to us, to our place. Amalei, he said to him, Tanina, no, I, t- um, you know, I teach a brighter, Reb Yosi Omer, lo mekomo shol adam mechabido, el adam mechabedet mekomo. A person's place doesn't give him honor. The person gives honor to his place. Shekain matzinu b'har sinai, we found in our sinai, shekozman shechina shruyalad, as long as the divine presence was on har sinai, amrat sarah, gamatam babakal, yeruh, mulaharu, the animals couldn't graze. When the Shechina was lifted up from it, then the mountain lost any significance and people could go up. So it wasn't that the mountain was what was important. It was God's presence that was important. Similar in the tenth of meaning. While it was spread, the Torah says, and God's presence was there. Let all of the, um, or maybe it means the place that the, that the Oel Moed was. The Oel Moed gave significance to the place and all all Tamei people had to be sent away. Huglua parochet, once the curtains were rolled up and the Oamoid was dismantled, that actual geographic, you know, space was not itself significant. Then all the Tamei people could enter into the space. So, thank you very much. I'm happy here. My presence gives honor to the place. I don't need a place to, be, to give honor to me. Amalei, so he said to him, So you know what? If that's true, I should move over to you to where you are, which is a little funny because I don't understand. You know, you're, it's like what's the joke? You know, the person who heard that um, most accidents ha- occur within five miles of home, so he moved. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, if your if your presence honors the place, I should move you. But well, what about your presence is honoring your place? But maybe he felt that you know he was the more honorable person, like he was the at the high, you know, the person of greater status. So he says, all right, if that's true, and, and maybe the wanted the company so he said if that's true if you're not moving to me I should move to you 
So he said, um, okay, Amrle, he said to him, no. Mutav Yavu Mana Ben Prasi to Mana Ben Mana is appropriate for you. Your, your initial request was more appropriate because you were asking a hundred dollars or, uh, you know, the son of fifty dollars, you know, to come to a, to a mana, to a hundred, the son of a hundred. So Yavu Mana Ben Mana is a Mana Ben Prasi, but a hundred, the son of a hundred, shouldn't come to a hundred, the son of fifty, or a full, the, the son of a half. What does it mean? Because one was Rav Nachman Bar, bar Rav Chista. So Rav Nachman's father was a Rav, whereas it was Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, the one who is the one in the place that's saying, I'm not going to move, a person honors his place, his father wasn't a Rav. So he said, no, 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 you're, you know, I should, you shouldn't come to me. You are from a more hush of a heritage. You shouldn't be moving your place towards my place. Which uh, one does wonder, you know, a little bit, like, you know, it seems a little bit that Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak was the more hush of one, and he was, uh, so, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, uh, yeah, it's a little interesting exactly what this dynamic is, whether he really held that Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Bar Rav Chizda, was more, was more hush of in himself, or he's just saying his chashivas came from his father. So, but don't you move to me. Um, okay, Basura have a have a okay. So that was the end of that story. Uh, let's just, uh, I guess, read one more story. Basura have a Dvarta In Sura, there was dever pestilence in the neighborhood of. Uh, in, 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 there was pestilence in Sura, but she vusedirav lohavas. But it didn't. It didn't afflict Rav's uh, little, uh, um, you know, neighborhood. Lohav is Dvarta. It didn't come into Rav's neighborhood. Savrumina, the people thought that Mishum Zuchusei Dvarav that it was Rav's merit that saved them. Did not fish that it was so great that it saved them. Again, sort of like the merit of saving from the falling wall. Here, the merit of a great rabbi of a great man saves from the from the dever. But now look, here again is like a you know again like a pushback on some of those earlier stories. So Itchazilu Bechelma, the people who were saying this, their a, a dream came to them and they saw in a dream that the following message. Um, Rav did nafisha zechusa tuva. Rav did nafisha zechusa tuva. Rav did nafisha zechusa tuva. Rav has much merit. This matter is too minor for it to be based on Rav Zuchus. Rav Zuchus is so great, you know, this doesn't need Rav Zuchus to save. I mean, I don't know, Dever seems to be a pretty, a pretty big thing. Um, this all came on the merit of a certain person, an unnamed person, that would lend out Mara Vizavila, like a shovel and a, you know, some other digging instrument, Likvura, to help people for burial. So because of his merit that he would help people for burial, when something came that would kill people, his merit of helping people at moments of death was enough to save that neighborhood. The small, like, anonymous, you know, the small, the small deeds of anonymous people. And let's just read one more story just like that. Bidrokeret, uh, which we heard about before, Havit Lekta, there a fire broke out. And it didn't break out in Rafuna's neighborhood. It's because of Rav Huzan's merit, which is so great. This would be too small of a deal for Rav Huna, For Rav Huna's merit. You don't need Rav Huna's merit for this. woman That when she would heat up her oven, fire up her oven, she'd let her neighbors use her oven that had already been you know, heated up and the fuel had already been used and it was already hot. Come and use my oven or else it's gone away. Why waste her own fuel? So that was enough to save it. So again, I think that this is a, like a, a beautiful counterpoint. We're not denying the idea that great rabbis have great merit and that will save them from great things. But in a way, all we heard about before was it saved them from falling buildings. Here, if you ask me, 
save, like stopping a fire and stopping pestilence is at least as a big of a deal, although the Gemara is making it more minor. And I think there's a real power with ending about this story that like the small little good deeds of anonymous people, you know, can have a tremendous type of a saving effect. Okay, so we'll end it then, yes. Yeah.